Thanks for joining me on this journey to building authority online and sharing your message with a world who desperately needs to hear it. I'm your host, Valerie Morris, and I am excited to share today's interview with you. Today's podcast is brought to you by the book, We're All Ears. This is your guide to building influence, impact, and success online in a noisy world. This book is unique because I included experts' knowledge as well as things that I've learned along the way to help give you the tools you need to get your message out there. Without further ado, let's dig in. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today. I've got Christina Rowe, and I am so excited to hear from her. We're going to be talking a little bit about building authority and building trust, and she sees that every day in her business. Christina, why don't you tell us a little bit about your expertise and what you are known for in the world? Sure. So I work in leadership and team development um, from a strength-based positive mindset perspective. Um, I really help leaders build up their team and look at what are the resources, skill sets, um, strengths that each individual on their team contributes and what that means they have to work with as a whole. Um, and a lot of that also ties really strongly into working on developing team cultures and organizational cultures. Um, and with that, that's where a lot of the trust comes into play. Um, that kind of has to be a pillar of that culture in order to, for people to be able to be capable of being vulnerable and moving forward and really being able to approach growth from an open mindset, um, from being able to be vulnerable and ask for help where they need to or ask for feedback. That's great. Do you see that trust is like, do you see that this is a common problem in teams that you work with that, you know, people don't feel like they trust the other person on the team or they don't trust their leader or their manager and therefore it's causing a bunch of other problems? Sure. So oftentimes um, I'll be brought in because there's a disconnect on the team. Mm, um, I like that and word. Yeah. And when we really um, start to dive deeper into why does this disconnect exist or where are these barriers that we have coming from? It's often because there's kind of been these friction points that have gone unaddressed. Somebody's feelings have been hurt and they kind of shut down and they can't work at their absolute um, best self because they've started to feel like they need to hide a, a piece of themselves because somebody, um, you know, did something or didn't appreciate a piece of their work that they really poured their heart and soul into, um, or they're, they're really coming from different value points, right? One may um, really heavily value their ability to connect with other people, and somebody else might really heavily value um, their ability to be really efficient. So when somebody's taking time to connect, and maybe that's with clients or um, membership, if you're a member-based organization, or um, you know, different pieces like that, the other person seeing it as inefficient. And because they've never discussed what their values are or how they move forward from that or how they find common ground with both of those, um, it becomes this big friction point where they, they're undervaluing each other instead of placing trust in each other, instead of building up the other teammate. Um, and so instead, you end up with all these points of friction and tension that become really big distractions from what you're trying to achieve. Mm. Wow. You got a couple of good D words in there. You got oh. <laughs> distraction. That's great. So when, when people are a part of a team, do you find that 
you know, the leaders really, like, is this something that leaders think about that, like, how, how trustworthy am I to my team? Or, or is it a conscious thought? Or is it something that we just kind of go about our day and, you know, it just kind of happens. And then once there's a problem, we're thinking about it. I think the really successful, great, phenomenal leaders think about it a lot. Mm. Um, but I think it's a steep learning curve. I think a lot of people were good at grooming ourselves to trust ourselves when we accept those positions of management, those positions of taking on more and more leadership roles. Um, but because we trust ourselves, we don't always slow down and think about how other people are experiencing being part of our team. And um, so I think it's often something that's taken for granted or different people um, really find that they build trust in other people based on different value sets. You know, one person might really value um, and gain trust in someone through shared experiences, while somebody else might come at it from a point of total and complete transparency and honesty is what makes them feel like they're in a safe space to trust their leader. Mm -hmm. um, and yet others really just want someone who makes them feel heard and invested in. Um, and so then they can perform at their best point if they feel like they're really supported in what they need. Um, so that takes a leader who's going to take the time to listen to them. Um, so I think the biggest mistake that I see is leaders who think they're trustworthy just because they follow their own values ultimately. Um, and they don't slow down and listen and look and really reflect on what it is that the individuals on their team might need in order to get to that really high functioning trust level. Mm. Wow. So when you're thinking about like trustworthy people, are there any mm -hmm. common characteristics that kind of stick out as you, you know, you've gotten to know so many of these different people. Are there certain things that just like keep coming to the, to the surface that, you know, people that really do a good job of building trust with either their team members or their peers or, you know, random strangers that find them on LinkedIn, you know, how, how are there any common, common denominators there? Sure. I think one of the things that um, stands out to me the most is a lot of times it's the removal of feeling fear or threatened by other people's success. Mm. I think um, the most mind-blowing leaders that I've been able to work with um, and been lucky enough to like observe with their teams, um, I think what they do really well is they kind of get rid of, rid of all the BS about being threatened that somebody else is good at something. And instead, they're really good at fostering that growth in the individuals on their team or in their support system or the people that they're trying to influence. Instead, they lift them up instead of kind of holding them back or being um, cutting them off to resources because it feels threatening that they might one day surpass them, right? Um, so instead, they really work on pulling them up, really work on fostering what their kind of zone of genius is, what their um, strengths are, and they really build them up from that point of view, rather than trying to hold them back to kind of stay above them. And I think that's one of the mistakes we see um, a lot of times, and I think in our general culture, we see it joked about on movies and TV shows and things like that. 
But I think ultimately it happens a little bit too much and it can kind of be in those microaggressions or it can be in those um, places where you get heard no all the time. And sometimes it's on us where we don't always step up and say, look, this is what I really need to be successful. I've taken the time to reflect on it. Um, I've really looked at it from different angles. I've gotten feedback from a lot of different people on it. Um, and this is what I need. So sometimes we're not even giving the leaders the tools they need to know how to make us successful. And then there are those group of leaders where they haven't figured out their own way to get past the fear of somebody doing better than they are doing or surpassing them or being the one who brings the great ideas to the top. Um, and I think if we all kind of got out of each other's way and instead really fostered cultures of uplifting each other and building each other and moving each other to that point of abundance mindset instead of kind of scarcity or we're all competing for the same titles or positions, um, I think we'd see a lot more successful leadership and a lot more successful trust being built naturally on teams where it didn't have to take as much um, energy and reflection time. I love that you say this. Like I just, it just like made my heart sing <laughs> because in marketing, we talk a lot about giving first mm -hmm. and especially the digital marketing scene. Like it's so easy to compare yourself between, you know, like, oh, someone has, you know, 5 million followers or 10,000 followers more than me. Like it's just so easy to play that game instead mm -hmm. of let's put somebody else first. Let's, let's showcase other people. And that's naturally going to reflect the right kinds of people over who want to follow me. Um, mm -hmm. because they're going to see that I'm giving back and I'm giving out first. Um, so it's very interesting that you say that just in like a team culture. Uh, and it's, I think something that not many people think about. So that's yeah, that, interesting. I think that giving first, um, matters even more when you're looking at people who are working in a very technical hierarchy mm -hmm. of what their titles are, what their um, numbers are, and where maybe followers look like that hierarchy, like they're defining that hierarchy. Um, I think it's, we've kind of built ourselves into this structure where we're afraid of getting surpassed. Mm -hmm. Like it means something poor about us or it means something that we're failing at versus um, I think the uh, ultimate success is that you've set someone up and you've taught them how to go further and you never know where that's kind of going to have the boomerang effect of pulling you along too and bringing you somewhere new too um, and where it comes full circle. So I think that giving first matters in a lot of ways and it especially matters when it comes to trust right? It matters to put your trust in the other person that they're going to be, you know, honest, kind, tell you what they need um, when you're taking the lead with them. Um, and that trust matters when it's you slowing down and listening to what they need, what they want. Um, you know, in marketing, it's slowing down and listening and learning about what people are seeking, what they need information on. Um, and in leadership, it's slowing down and listening to how they're experiencing their role, how they're experiencing mm -hmm. a project or a challenge, um, both sometimes in life or just in a work sense. Um, and it's, it's taking that 
And then being mindful and being thoughtful about how you approach it so that they feel heard and understood as well. And that's one of the biggest basis um, for trust that I think gets missed is we think everyone needs what we need instead of slowing down and finding out what somebody else who may come from a totally different perspective actually needs. Mm. Well, you touched on a really important concept, which we didn't even talk about talking about, but um, is this concept of listening and how important that is because Mm -hmm. that's a huge piece. I think as, as anyone's out there trying to make their stamp on the world, listening is perhaps the most important piece but it's the one piece that so many people completely ignore. Um, mm-hmm. And then they, they do all this work and then they realize, well, this isn't doing anything. And if they had started with that listening point, it would have made all of their efforts so much easier. So, yeah, I think that's a great point. I think we um, sometimes listen to respond instead of listening to actually participate or take in somebody else's um, statement or need or what they, what kind of advice they're really looking for. Um, And we, we kind of operate in this uh, culture of being afraid to pause. Mm -hmm. And listening is a, to me is really a form of um, learning how to intake information and listening should be about hearing it come your way and taking it all in. And then there's a second step after that that's processing. Mm. So they should be thought of as kind of two separate approaches or tools. Um, And then between them, sometimes I think in building trust, it is just the listening phase that you don't always need to go onto the process and then the next step of response Um, that sometimes people just need the moment to feel heard. Yeah. I think that's 100% true. I I had that situation last night where I just, I had to get something out and I just Mm -hmm. wanted to listen. I just wanted to someone to say, yeah, that's, that's really difficult. That's, that's a really frustrating thing you're dealing with, you know, Mm -hmm. and not have a solution, not need to process it. I don't need you to stress about this and lose brain cells over it. You know, right. I just need you to know I just need to, to process this myself. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's great. Wow. So within a team, um, you know, you've got the leader who's obviously trying to build trust, but you also have team members and you also have people who are on a peer level trying to build trust with each other. Have you seen anything work effectively or, or have any insights into how do we build trust amongst peers not just necessarily with someone that's, you know, further ahead or, or above us. Mm -hmm. So I think the biggest thing with peers is recognizing that avoidance rarely solves anything. Mm. Um, I think the biggest mistake I see often is people having kind of a friction point or disagreements or a moment of conflict and they kind of just let it sit there and fester Um, rather than looking at it as an opportunity to grow together. um, I think almost any point of friction or um, conflict or disagreement is a really good red flag for here's an opportunity to grow instead of letting this turn into something that holds you back. Mm. Because those friction points um, repeated can really turn into barriers of 
who you open up to, who you feel comfortable asking for help from. Um, and that asking for help in shared experiences is one of the ways we as human beings build trust and relate to each other the best. Um, you know, we see people go to really shallow surface connections like gossip and that actually creates toxic behaviors on teams mm. versus the ones that take a lot more effort have a lot more long-standing peer relationship building ability. Um, and you really see that in the ability to ask for help and the ability to create shared experiences. But you can't do either of those if you've let something fester to the point where you're avoiding someone else on your team or who is a peer. If you're avoiding them because they made you feel bad about something you um, turned in, delivered, um, a project idea that you put out there, um, pieces like that, it's really easy to feel shut down mm. from that. And then we kind of tend to want to go away and lick our wounds and avoid that person so it doesn't happen again. Um, rather than having the courage to kind of step in and say, you know, I just want to go back to, you know, last week you kind of took this project idea I'd really invested in. And in the future, I'd really love to have feedback on it that can be useful and constructive and something I can learn from, or if you see a reason it might not work, it to be something that we can kind of use as um, a process rather than a total shutdown point. Um, or if it's something that you really don't see a possibility for success, helping me understand that is a lot more useful than just making fun of it or saying no flat out and refusing to talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, because what that does is that closes me off from bringing any new ideas to you in the future. And that takes some courage because we're not really taught those tools of communication to kind of work through the tough stuff sometimes. Yeah, we live in a very passive aggressive <laughs> yeah. um, kind of culture where it's very easy to just say, oh, well, forget you. I'm just going to go lick my wounds over here and avoid you as much as possible. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and I think too, we also live in a culture where you really don't want to look weak. Mm -hmm. And that's the same that I see it in marketing too. You know, you, you want to put it, it's social media is full of the highlight reel, right? Like email marketing, like you're not going to be admitting to your audience that you've made a mistake on something. You're going to be putting your best foot forward. Um, and so I think that authenticity really shines through when you, when you are willing to put yourself out there because it is so rarely seen. Yeah, I agree. I think my um, biggest regret about my own entrepreneurship is not playing the newbie card more often mm. um, in the early years. I think, um, you know, now I've been on my own for quite a while, but in the early years of entrepreneurship, I think I struggled with the idea of looking new to the game, looking young, looking um, all those kinds of things that I wanted people to really trust my validity and trust that and I thought that only came from um, looking experienced and looking really uh, well known or well adjusted to um, all of those different hangups that can come your way in entrepreneurship. Um, and so I think I think there's a missed learning opportunity in that. 
I think um, the vulnerability of kind of saying, hey, I'm really new, like, what are the biggest mistakes you've made or what's the biggest, you know, success you've ever had and how do you, what do you think got you there? And, you know, asking more questions than mm-hmm. feeling like I had to have the answer yeah. um, was probably a little bit of a waste of time in the early phase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think being willing to open up and admit that, you know, it's hard because you, we probably experienced similar things, but there's kind of a fear factor of like, can I trust this person? Mm -hmm. Learning, you know, there are people out there that you can't trust. Mm -hmm. And how do you respond from that and, and, and put yourself and and be vulnerable to the right person? Um, But yeah, I think that's, that's really great insight. So now you have, you run your own business. Mm-hmm. You not only work with teams and whatnot, but you run the business. Yep. And so as you have sought to build your own authority, um, you know, I know you, you write a lot of blogs, you've done a lot with video, like you're doing a lot to help convey to people that, um, you know, I'm an authority online. I know my stuff, you know, okay. what, what has that journey looked like for you? And, and have you been doing it from the start or is it something that you kind of learned along the way? Sure. Um, I think mine kind of looked a little bit like the kids game that you play red light, green light. (laughs) I think I had a lot of like stop and go, um, in a kind of long phase of like trial and error. Mm. And I think the thing that I found hard was, um, I'm pretty big on accountability to other people. Mm. And so when I didn't, know my audience was there yet it was hard for me to be consistent about it um that was one of the most challenging things and now in retrospect I realize I probably should have addressed it with just kind of taking some of the people who were kind of already in my like support tribe or really playing it up to clients that I already had that existed and specifically asking them you know could you read a few of these and give me feedback Um, because if I had known people were, um, reading it and following it, um, and really using some of that content that I was putting out there, I think it would have been a much, um, easier climb for me because I would have felt like there was a lot more meaning behind it. Hmm. I think I sometimes struggled with kind of putting the information out into the abyss (laughs) of the internet. It didn't really feel like there was always anyone looking back and reading it. Um, I think my first, um, comment on my blog was like months and months and months into it. Yeah. Um, And so that was, that was kind of hard. And I think I should have been kind of rallying like the people I had who were already in a supportive role to me, who already believed in what I was doing, um, and really reached out to them more for more, input, more feedback, more, um, commenting. And I think that would have made it a lot more approachable. Um, and I think trusting, um, the resources that I had of where to put that energy and kind of, it goes back to that listening, you know, um, listening to other people who know their stuff, um, and know, um, and, listening for where somebody makes a comment about, oh, I read that you did that, you know, because you kind of feel like, oh, I read that, or I saw that you did this. And it, it has like a really great feeling. But then if you don't slow down and think about where they read it, or ask them those questions about, 
oh, which post did you see that on? You know, which, which social media outlet, things like that. You're kind of still putting it out in 90 different directions without the feedback of where's my actual clientele or my actual support coming from. Yeah. Well, and you know, as we're talking here, it just reminded me too of probably one of the most authority building things that you have done within your career, which we haven't talked about yet Mm -hmm. is all the public speaking that you do. Yeah. I think that's almost instant credibility, right? Like, um, you know, people see you up on a stage talking about a specific topic. They're already halfway sold or most of the way sold on, oh, I need Christina and her team to help me out. Yeah, there is, there's definitely um, a validity that comes from it. Um, I think for other people and also for yourself um, by going that route. Um, and I think learning to leverage that in business is one of the biggest things. I think that's something I actually learned a lot from you mm. um, as far as, you know, put that out on some of those um different social media outlets and look and take that as like, where does that come from? Um, we had, I did a speaking engagement that was probably one of the bigger ones I've ever done. And, um, a week later I was getting on a coaching call with a client and they were like, Oh, I didn't know you spoke. And (laughs) you know, that you spoke at a conferences and stuff. I just saw you did that. Um, and that came in on, you know, I saw it on LinkedIn and it wasn't someone that I necessarily had expected to be hanging out on LinkedIn. You know, she always has a very, very full plate and things like that. And I forget that it is still a place where people go for resources and look for their kind of thought leaders. And that is a lot where my audience hangs out and where it kind of gives you an opportunity to stay top of mind with them. Yeah. Well, and I love what you said there at the beginning of answering that question was, um, you know, not only does it build trust with other people, but it does with you. Mm-hmm. And I think that like personal self-confidence is such a huge piece to, you know, building authority online. You have to believe in yourself just as much as you want other people to, if not more. Um, and I, I completely agree when you're up there speaking in front of people, like the confidence that that builds in you, like, oh yeah, I do know my stuff. So mm-hmm. that's such a great insight. Yeah. I think, I think it's a form of trust and vulnerability, right? Finding that right balance between what helps you trust yourself and your knowledge mm-hmm. and where are you comfortable being vulnerable with it? And, you know, where can you maybe inch past that normal comfort level to test the waters a little bit and Mm -hmm. see, oh, if I'm vulnerable here, if I put it out there that I've done this, if I put it out there that I'm trying this, um, or even that I want to do this, if you put it out there, you know, who knows really great conferences to um, apply to speak at or things for your venue um, or for your kind of clientele or who you really want to be influencing. Um, It takes some vulnerability to put it out there that, hey, I think I'd be good at speaking and I'd like to take that step. Yeah, that's so great. So do you have any tips for just anyone out there who's really wanting to build trust Mm -hmm. with their audience, you know, maybe someone has just started following them. Someone's just connected with them on LinkedIn. Um, maybe they're just starting to work with someone, you know, on a face-to-face web meeting to web meeting kind of scenario or whatnot. 
you have any trust building tips that you can leave us with? Yeah, so my probably biggest tip would be don't be afraid to take a little time to understand the other person. Um, understand their situation, what their challenges really are. Don't just guess at them. Take the time to really utilize thoughtful questions as one of your biggest tools available to you in your toolbox, right? We sometimes, um, like we talked about with like feeling like we needed to have all the answers, we tend to only give answers and not really ask questions that get us to that point of well-informed. So take the time to listen and go deeper and sometimes even a little bit deeper than you necessarily thought at first would be needed. But when you kind of get that gut feeling of, oh, there's something more behind this, push like just a little bit more to find out, you know, what about your business is really challenging? Is that really the root cause of it? Um, you know, is there something that I can provide you that like really helps that maybe wasn't in our original plan for this, you know, um, getting to those pieces is really where people feel understood. And if you can kind of take it and really help them figure out how to solve it, then they trust you to be the authority on it. Um, and I think past just the questions, also don't be afraid to repeat it back to them as how you're understanding their situation, how you're understanding their feelings to get that confirmation. Because what you're doing by having them confirm what you're hearing, what you're feeling from them, um, you're creating buy-in from them. Mm. On, yes, we're on the same page. That's so great. That that second part is so important. Mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, just the misunderstanding and the disconnect can a lot of times just be solved right there. Right. So that's that's so great. Well, awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing all of your amazing insights on trust. And I'm sure there's just, you know, gobs and gobs of other information we could have dove into as well, because I'm sure you talk about this with personality types and all sorts of things for hours and hours and hours. But um, at the end of every um, interview, I always like to ask a few lightning round questions. So sure. these are just purely fun, um, get to know you, just, just something a little fun, doesn't have anything to do with necessarily your profession. So okay. um, the first question is, if you could do any job and try it out for just a week, what would you try out? Ooh, that's a hard one. Um, I think I would want to try out being a history professor. Oh, nice. So, yeah, I think I um, love that as a hobby as far as like history goes and I like seeing how cultures interacted so it would still probably follow quite a strong um, path of where my interest is now and what led me to do what I do yeah um, but I think seeing other people getting excited about it too not um, just out of necessity but in the learning process earlier on would be really fun nice Okay. Um, next question is what, if you could only eat one food for the rest of your life? Oh, you um, and it's healthy and calories. It doesn't have to be healthy. <laughs> <laughs> um, pizza. It would be like 
the stereotype answer of pizza. I love pizza. That's probably a really like Chicago kid answer to you. Yes, so. I'm with you there. <laughs> I'm with you there on the Chicago pizza. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, and then the last question is, um, what do you miss most about being a kid? Oh, um, I think I miss most just having to not worry about I was a pretty responsible kid, uh-huh. but I think having the freedom to always have those safety nets of parents would fix it if I did it wrong the first time, um, or having the safety nets of when I was exhausted, somebody told me, just give up and go to bed, you know? Yeah. Um, so a little bit lighter on the decision-making, I think that would kind of be, <laughs> I think that would be fun. That or just a straight out wide open summer break. Yes. So. <laughs> I'm with you there on summer break. Yes, absolutely. Well, Christina, where can people find you and the collaborative team? Sure. So they can find me at www.thecollaborativeteam.com. Um, we have all our social media linked there. We're um, really active on LinkedIn, our blog, and Instagram mostly. So um, any place there to follow us and we do different tips and tricks and how to build trust and how to work with people and how to work through conflict and difficult um, discussions. So, and we're always looking for any questions people have to, to answer. That's great. That's so great. And I really appreciate all the insights that you've given us today and to all of our listeners. And I'm just so thankful for, for your expertise, um, not just on this episode, but just as a friendship as well. So thanks so much, Christina, for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks, Valerie.